0: just like to hold up this picture and we saw the video giving this picture wonderful all many many people rising out of the waters out of the sea of baptism do try to have a look at it afterwards so lynn are we to have the reading and for me to proceed it's lovely to be back with you um When I was here before, I was with a lovely man called Mojtaba from Iran. He had been a drug addict, similar story in a way to to Michael Smith. Um, And Mojtaba continues to strengthen the church from Iran. He founded a church in the Cappadocia region of um, Turkey. Uh, I have visited that, that church. And I'm pleased to say that the church in Iran continues to grow despite ongoing opposition 1.4 million New Testaments have been distributed amongst Iranians and Afghans and of the 300 people that were to be baptised well, 200 of them were baptised a couple of weeks ago in an area of Turkey very close to what was Laodicea the church that was sluggish. I would love you to join us at Shackelford at Elam's headquarters on the first Tuesday afternoon of each month 2 o'clock till 4 o'clock when we hear news of what's going on and we pray and we we learn some of the things that can't be put out into the public domain did you know that you are the closest evangelical church to the international headquarters of this strategic organisation I hope to be back in Turkey later this year helping to train some of the young believers from Iran. You might like to pray for the ongoing distribution of scriptures, and Elam concentrates on training uh, leaders from inside Iran. The underground church there, they leave the country and come outside for a, a week or two and undergo training. And the reason why the church is growing is because people have been using this prayer guide and other sources to pray for Iran which has been a basket case of Islamic extremism. And there are some copies of these for you to take free of charge at the coffee area afterwards. But I'm not here in capacity of working for Elam. Technically, I'm retired from them, although I'm closely associated and continue to do things with them. So it was Derek Wednesday who was due to come and speak to you this morning and uh, he's otherwise involved and uh, has asked me to come, so thank you for welcoming me. Uh, We're going to look at Genesis chapter 24, the story of uh, a wife being found for uh, Isaac. (coughs) Abraham was 100 years old when God promised him a son, and when Isaac was born, he is now about 140 years old, and the story begins... In verse 1 of chapter 24, Abraham was now old and well advanced in years. The Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land And who spoke to me and promised me on oath saying to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharem and made his way to the town of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, Give me success today and show kindness to my master. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink and she says, drink and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master.' Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, "'Please give me a little water from your jar.' Drink, my lord, she said, and she quickly lowered a jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a beaker and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked her, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And so the story goes on. Verse 26, the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord when he discovered that Rebecca was indeed a relative of his master, and there isn't time to read the whole passage, so I'm going to jump ahead now to verse 50, um, where <coughs> the uh, discussion with Laban with uh, Rebecca's family continues. Laban and Bethuel answered the servant Abraham's servant, "This is from the Lord; we can say nothing to you one way or the other." Here is Rebecca. Take her and go. Let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. And when Abraham's servant heard this, what does he do? He bows down and worships. And he brings out gold and silver, jewellery and articles of clothing, and gave them to Rebekah, and costly gifts to her brother and her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there, When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, Let the girl remain with us ten days or so at least, then you can go. And, well, they ask Rebecca, Are you willing to go? And astonishingly, she says, Yes. And so she is sent off with a blessing from her family and her two maids, is it? Get on the camels, and so they return. And Isaac, you will recall, is out meditating in the field in the evening and he seals the camel train approaching and his bride to be among them. What an incredible story. Now we're going to look at some of the characters in this story. I invite you to see which one you identify with the most. And then we're going to do what one is supposed to do when meditating. We're going to try and listen to the inner meaning of the passage. So let's start with Abraham. Can we have our first uh, picture up, please? Um, Abraham started out being called to leave his country in Ur of the Chaldees, which which is in what is now Iraq. And he travelled with his uh, brother and father to Haran, Haran is somewhere between Aleppo and Nineveh on one of the tributaries of the Euphrates. And after uh, Nahor dies, Abraham is called again by God and he sets forth for the land that God is promising to give him. And our story is set deep in the south, in the Sinai, well south of Hebron. Abraham had been living in the land that God had promised him for many years, and he didn't own any of it except for a small patch that he had bought in order to bury his wife, Sarah, who has recently died. He'd had a bit of a checkered career. He'd wandered off into Egypt when there was a famine, and twice he'd passed off his attractive wife uh, as his sister. Indeed, she was his half-sister. And uh, sometimes he trusted God and sometimes, rather like us, that trust slips away. But now towards the end of his life, he actually had a personal encounter with God on several occasions and he would learned to trust God. So when the servant says, well supposing this woman that you want me to get for your son, supposing she doesn't want to come, what then? And the key verse of this whole passage for me is Abraham's response And uh, I'm going to quote from verse 46, I think it is, where Eliezer, the servant, recounts this. And it's reported that Abraham says, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel before you and you will find a wife for my son. In other words, despite the terrors of the journey, the uncertainties... The, the questionable willingness of a woman to come and be wife to Isaac, Abraham is saying, God's angel is going to go with you and make you successful. What confidence is that? Are we like Abraham? The faith comes and goes, sometimes we can trust God with certainty and other times we we flunk it. Uh, I'm impressed by the fact that God had promised to give the entire land that Abraham had travelled the length and breadth of and yet at the end of his life he didn't, didn't have any of it. He hadn't inherited it. The promise hadn't yet been fulfilled. And for some of us sitting here God has promised things to us and we have yet to live in the good of that. Or maybe we are praying for a wayward member of our family trusting God that he would yet bring that person to to saving faith. Let me tell you a story about an uncle and an aunt of mine. They adopted three children. They were childless. All three children were troublesome, wayward in the extreme, especially the eldest. And they prayed all their lives that their children would come to faith. Well, my uncle died before he saw the answer to that prayer, but the eldest, the most wayward, was wonderfully converted, even went to Africa with YWAM. So there was an example of faith holding on to God, persistently praying, and the person didn't even see the answers to their prayers, but the answer came soon afterwards. So if there's anybody here praying for an issue or for a person, and you're not seeing the answer to that prayer, Keep on praying. Be like Abraham. Keep on trusting that God will do what He promised. Notice that uh, God had promised three things to Abraham. He'd promised to give him this land. He'd promised to give him more descendants, and there were stars, stars that you could see in the sky. He'd also um, established a covenant, a binding relationship between them. But uh, here we here. Abraham was Isaac, his only son, no no wife. What was he to do? Where was God's promise going to be fulfilled? And faith without action is dead. It's empty. And so it was a step of faith that Abraham said, right, we're going to find a wife for Isaac. Interestingly, arranged marriages like this one seem to be more successful, less prone to break up, than love marriages in our Western culture. I love the fact that Abraham walked with God all his life, and we are, of course, invited to do the same. Let's move quickly on to Abraham's servant. Did you notice that the, the narrative suggests that the moment Abraham gives his instruction, "Go and get a wife for my servant, that my my son," that. Um, It almost seems as if it's the very next day that he sets off with his ten camels and some of the best things of his master. By the way, Abraham wasn't just uh, having a small family. 318 trained men from his household set off to do battle and recover Lot, who was taken taken captive, if you know the early story of Abraham's life. So Abraham was something of a tribal chief If there were 318 men born in his household maybe his entire clan numbered more than a thousand people uh, a force to be reckoned with. So his servant chief servant was an important man but he was trustworthy. Did you notice all the way through the zeal with which this servant was keen to implement his master Abraham's wishes? Now The journey was of the order of 550 miles. Camels travelled at about 2.2 miles an hour, although you can make them gallop. I was once on a running camel near the pyramids in Egypt, a most uncomfortable experience. Every time the back of the camel came up, I seemed to be coming down. And apparently uh, uh, camels can cover 100 miles in a day if they're in a hurry. Uh, and there was an occasion when da- uh, Abraham went to rescue Lot and uh, travelled to the north of Damascus, which you can see in our scheme here. So can we come to the, the next slide, please? I reckon this journey would have taken at least four weeks. Uh, it was part of a, a major... Uh, trading route so there would have been suitable places to stay along the way um, can we go on to the next slide please did you notice that as Abraham's servant prays Lord may the woman who offers uh, water for me but also offers to feed the camel, water the camels may she be the one before he even finished his prayer Rebecca appears. God seems to be rather enthusiastic about this mission, does he not? I'm excited. God is more ready to answer our prayers than we are to ask them. Isn't that wonderful? And did you notice that Eliezer, for that was probably his name, uh, he didn't really know God in the way that Abraham did. He he prays to the. He says, "O oh God of my master Abraham." But by the end of his trip, probably the most important assignment he had in his life, I think he knew God personally, knew that he could afford to trust God as well. There's a lesson here about people in our wider household coming to faith as a result of us and our example. And for those of you who are parents and whose children do not walk with the Lord, don't forget that your children cannot deny the reality of the faith that they have seen in you. Certainly. Eliezer could not deny. The reality of Abraham's faith. How beautiful. And that helped him. I love the fact that on two occasions. In this narrative. As God's plan unfolds. And the prayer is answered. Eliezer stops. And he bows down. And he worships before continuing with the negotiations. And that's an example for us. You know, we need to stop and to give thanks and to worship. Uh, But he wouldn't even sit down to eat a meal, and if you've been on the road for a month and more, you'd probably be ready to sit down and have your feet washed and have a nice meal put in front of you. No, we had to he had to explain his business and agreement had to be made regarding this Uh, arranged marriage I wonder if we are like the servant are we reliable Abraham had confidence in him are we zealous for the Lord in the way that Eliezer was to do his master's bidding and was he keen to get on with the job let's move quickly to Rebecca. We notice that she has a servant heart. Uh, Camels can drink a minimum of 1.3 litres of water a day. They are remarkably adapted. We breathe out water vapour and we need a minimum of 2 litres a day in a tropical place like this, a hot place. Um, But camels can drink up to 4 bucketfuls of water at one sitting. And if they've been without water for a long period, they would too. So Rebecca was offering a fairly generous gesture in watering all the camels. Can we see the, the next picture, is it? of uh, uh, They would have stopped along the way, of course, rather like this. Uh, I wonder if you can see whether the artist got the correct number of camels in his picture. So Rebecca was uh, willing to um, do a significant amount of work but she was um, she was available, she was ready for action and towards the end of this story when uh, Eliezer speaks to the family and says well let's ask the girl is she willing to go with this man she says yes, I'm willing. Now, uh, before... The servant even knew whether Rebecca was a relative. He gives her this nose ring and two gold bracelets. We were given the weights 10 shekels, was it? 10, and uh, by, according to last week's gold prices, that was about 4,000 pounds worth of gold. No wonder Laban noticed and was keen to jump to it. This was a promising prospect here. And that was just the down payment. When the bridal arrangements had been agreed, further treasures came out and were given to the family. Uh, there was the prospect of something wonderful to come. But notice Rebecca's hard work and her willingness. But that, of course, did not make her eligible to be the wife. Her eligibility was the fact that she was a relative. Those qualities were commendable and were the signpost for Abraham's servant. God is looking for those qualities in us. But actually, when God looks at us, He doesn't select us because we have done anything in particular. He's chosen us because He's chosen us because He loves us. What did Rebecca do to deserve to become Isaac's wife? Well, the fact that she was Rebecca. Did you notice that God met with her in the routineness of her everyday life, doing fairly mundane things, collecting water at the well? That is often the way in our lives God wishes to meet with us in the mundaneness of our everyday life. I'm reminded of that verse. Let us not be weary in doing good, as Rebecca did, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest, if we do not give up. Now the story concludes with Isaac walking in the field. Can we have our final uh, picture please? Um, I suspect a few extra camels, not all of the camels that set out on this journey had men riding them because uh, they knew they'd be bringing back at least one extra person and it talks about Rebecca's maids so we can deduce there were at least three females on the return journey I suspect they took that journey slightly more gently and rested more often maybe they, they had a, an occasional complete day of rest and so uh, Rebecca sees Isaac walking in the field meditating and quickly the marriage is arranged and consummated this is a beautiful picture about a wedding a bride. God making all the necessary arrangements but using human people to do so. Um, I think we can learn from Isaac. I've camped out in the desert, not far from where this narrative took place. It's beautiful, especially at sunrise and sunset. There is an emptiness and a stillness. It's a place to meet with God and hear from God. No wonder years later God wanted to take his people, the children of Israel, into the desert for their elopement when God gave his uh, covenant to them and the Ten Commandments. He wanted their undivided attention and that is still true today. So when I retired from my employment with Elam, I went to my pastor and said, well what am I to do? I was hoping he would say oh well, we'd love you to preach here at Milnead from time to time, but I'm Still there, waiting for that invitation. <laughs> I've done so, but done so in the past. <laughs> um, he said, well, have you considered a retreat? And so I went and walked the Pembrokeshire coastline and went to Fowdy Bren in that lovely retreat centre that some of you will have know on, known about. I urge you to do as Isaac did, find places of stillness to commune with God. And when we meditate, we are listening to the hidden, the underlying message. So here we have a a story of a father with great assets who's given everything to his son and who desires a bride for that son. Does that ring any bells in your mind? The theme of a forthcoming wedding runs right through the Bible. Isaiah says it like this, the Lord Almighty will prepare a rich feast of food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest of wines. What's he talking about? He's talking about a banquet in heaven. He goes on later in the book of Isaiah, your eyes will see the king in his beauty and you will view a land a long way off. Isaiah was anticipating something that we are still looking forward to. Your Maker is your husband, Isaiah prophesied to the people. Come, all you who are thirsty, come and drink wine and milk without cost. Listen to me and eat what is good. Your soul will delight in the richest of fare. There is a picture of a wedding banquet to come. If we come to the New Testament, there was an occasion when John, John's disciples came to Jesus and said, well, why don't you fast? And the reply is, do the friends of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom is with him? No. Jesus is describing himself as the bridegroom. And of course, we know the story of the wedding at Cana in Galilee where Jesus validated marriage So, we are being drawn into the narrative of this story because we are to be the bride of Christ. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her as a radiant church without blemish, to make her holy, cleansing her, to present her to himself. And God is still polishing us up, ready for that amazing occasion. What I've just quoted is, the language of a bride and a groom, and it's right in the middle of a section about a relationship between a husband and a wife. And, of course, if we jump to the final chapter of God's great story to us, the book of Revelation and the final chapters, it's all about the marriage supper of the Lamb. The spirit and the bride say, "'Come, let him who hears say, "'Come, whoever is thirsty, let him come.'" and take of the water of life freely. Do you know, um, I probably wouldn't be here were it not for the, the prayers of some key people who've prayed for me over the years, and one of them was a lady who was so ill, she was housebound, indeed she was bedbound for much of her life, and my mother and I would go and visit her down in Devon. And one day she sat up in bed and she said, Jesus is coming for me today. Her communion with God was such that she knew in advance the day when she was going to die. And then a little later that day she said, I can see him, he's coming, he's coming for me. And within an hour or two she had died. Now her life by some measures was not very spectacular, much of it spent with chronic illness But she had communed with God. She knew the daily living presence of God. And for those of us that feel our lives are spent or nearly spent, let's prepare for this marriage supper that's to come. God is drawing us into sweet communion with himself. On my retreat, sometimes I was arguing angrily with God, Lord, what have you got for me to do next? And then I realised towards the end of the week, no, Lord, I'm going to be here to enjoy your presence just for who you are. That is the greatest thing I can do. Now behind me is the bread and the wine. Abraham came back from a battle with Lot and a king came out to meet him. His name was Melchizedek. He was king and priest, just like Jesus. And just like Jesus, Melchizedek comes bringing bread and wine, symbols of the feast that is to come. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're going to um, come to a time of communion and I wonder if somebody would like to speak to the leaders in Kids Church today um, to say that they'd be really welcome to come and uh, to to join us. Could you do that please? It'd be lovely. I mean if they want to stay in Kids Church, fine, but they are more than welcome to come and join us here now. Um, We're just going to, while we wait for the children to decide whether they're coming or not, we're going to sing a song of uh, that love relationship between God and ourselves. And and, uh, coincidentally, it was written by Michael Smith, the, the guy who we saw a little bit earlier on. So let's stand and sing.